بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ ٹنائٹ از دا ٹویلتھ آف جون ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ that we're going through the exalted and dear life of the illustrious companion, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallah. Before moving on, there is a week, just one week left for the glorious first blessed 10 days of Zulhijjah. So inshallah, each of the following nights, I'll mention a quick reminder with regards to these blessed days. So in a hadith, in Imam Ahmad, it is Musnad Tabarani Tahawi, and Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah states, Hassan in Irwa al-Ghalib, number 890. Abdullah ibn Umar, al-Anhumah, he relates that our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there are no days that are greater before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than these 10 days. There are no days that are greater before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than these 10 days, i.e. the first 10 days of Zulhijjah. So in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are no greater days. Meaning this is a sign that we should really strive in these blessed days. And also in Ibn Hibban Bazar, Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah states Sahih in Sahih Al-Jan, number 1133, Jabir radiyallahu relates that our beloved messenger, he said, sallallahu alayhi wa the best days in the world are the 10 days. The best days in the world are the 10 days. So this is a sahih hadith. So it doesn't matter what people say about these respected days or how they neglect it. The key point is, it is these are the greatest days with the Almighty and Glorious. So we should be gaining up to them, inshallah. So the great Ibn Mas'ud, the section we've started is with regards to his connection to the glorious Qur'an. And like I mentioned, his connection to the Qur'an was second to none. The last report I mentioned, our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, whoever wishes to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then let him read the Mus'haf. This is in Behaqi, it is Shu'ab al-Iman, number 2219, Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya, 7-209, with a sahih chain of transmission. So this is actually a command. We have to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger. And it mentions that reading the Quran, the Mus'haf, is the way to love Allah ta'ala and his messenger. In another report it mentions, this is in Tabarani in his Kabir, and Shaykh al-Bani authenticates it in As-Sahihah, number 1633. A man came to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu and said, My brother is sick and has pain in his stomach. Some people have thus prescribed wine for him. Should I therefore give it to him? He radiyallahu said, Subhanallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not placed a cure in ribs, I felt. Verily, you will find that cure is I largely in two things. Honey as a cure for mankind. 
and the Quran as a cure for what is in the breasts. So let's look at this. So this is an authentic report in the Balai. So a man fell ill and his brother's illness, we don't have much details, he had a stomach ailment. And somebody actually told him, you can give him wine, meaning he's not, he's not taking it for intoxication, it's actually good for that ailment. But this man wisely went to Ibn Masood first. And Ibn Masood was shocked. He goes, subhanAllah, Allah has not placed a cure in filth. In another wording, another report, in Imam Ahmad's Musnad Tabarani in his Kabir, and Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah authenticates it, in As-Sahihah, number 1633, Verily, Allah wa has not placed your cure in what He has prohibited for you. Verily, Allah wa has not placed your cure in what He has prohibited for you. So this is very important. People turn to the haram, because this is where the Shafa is. But that's not what the Prophet said, because why would Allah put your cure in the haram? That's like accusing him of playing games with you. Astaghfirullah. But then Ibn Masood said, cure is in two things. Now this doesn't mean only in these two things. What it means is that these two are a great vessel for shafa. Huni as a cure for mankind. So Huni has a tremendous impact upon shafa. In fact, the Quran mentions shafa ulil nas. And the Quran as a cure for what is in the breasts. Meaning maybe more regarding the spiritual ailments. The Quran has an impact there. Here, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was highlighting that the Quran should be used to cure spiritual problems, such as witchcraft, the evil eye, etc. However, it is very important to point out it is not just restricted to spiritual ailments. Our beloved mother, Sayyida Aisha, she said, Rasulullah once came into my chamber. And saw me with a woman who was treating me with a lawful ruqya, incantation. He thereupon told the woman, treat her with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is in Ibn Hiban. And Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi states sahih in As-Sahiha number 1931. So now what is ruqya? Ruqya is when you recite something audibly over the person. And that is sanctioned in Islam. You can't do that. As long as the content is from the Quran, the Sunnah, and it is not going against any of the commands of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is a shafa. But Rasulullah told this woman who was doing this, sallallahu alayhi wa treat her with the Quran. Now what was he actually saying? What's greater than Rukia? The Quran. And yet people are obsessed with Rukia. The Prophet goes turned to the Quran and was shocking. He didn't even highlight a verse of the Quran. He didn't say Yatul Kursi, Surah Fatiha seven times, you know, the last verses of Surah Baqarah. He just said Quran. So the entire Quran from the first bit to the last scene is Shafa. Indeed, it explicitly mentions in the Quran itself, in Surah Al Isra, Surah 17, verse 82, of the Billahi Minish Shaitan regime. وَنُنَزِّلُ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ مَا هُوَ شِفَاءُ وَرَحْمَةٌ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ We send down in the Qur'an that which is a healing and a mercy for those who believe. SubhanAllah. So here Allah the Almighty and Glorious says it's a shifa and it's a rahmah. These two things. 
It's a cure and it's a mercy for those who have iman. Allah Ta'ala goes, there's so much in this book that you are not even aware of. <laughs> because I've put shafa in it and I've put rahma in it. <laughs> Abdullah ibn Mas'ud he said, there is nothing except that it has been made clear to us in the Quran. However, our understanding falls short of reaching it. Thus he subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most high says, and he recited, Surah An-Nahm, Surah 16, verse 44. So that you, sallallahu should explain clearly to mankind what has been sent down to them. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Ibn Abi Hatim, Imam Siyuti in his Miftahul Jannah, page 58. So Ibn Mas'ud said something very Interesting, Allah. He goes, every answer or problem you have is answered in the Quran, is clear in the Quran. So that is a correct statement. So when a person says to you, are all our answers to our problems in the Quran? You say yes. But then he quickly said, however, our understanding falls short of reaching it, meaning we haven't got the deep knowledge of the Quran, most of us, to get that direct knowledge. Then he explained. So what are we supposed to do? He explained. Because Allah the Almighty and Glorious instructs His Beloved. So that you, Sallallahu should explain clearly to mankind what has been sent down to them. So what was Ibn Mas'ud simply saying? The answers to all our problems can indeed be found in the Glorious Book of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But most do not have such an encyclopedic knowledge of it. Thus our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa graciously broke it down further for the overwhelming masses. So now there's a problem. Some people don't believe in the narrations of the Prophet. <laughs> so you say to the person, and, they, and these people, they actually make a correct statement because we don't need the narrations. We don't need the hadith. All knowledge is in the Quran. So then, Bali Bali Muslim master arguing over that point. They've correctly quoted something. Don't argue over that. You say correct. So when you say correct, then they are the back foot. They weren't expecting. What? So you also believe. No, no, I, will, I believe in the hadith as well. But you're right in saying that the Quran has got complete knowledge. Or you're incorrect in the sense that most of us can't have access to that knowledge. We need to have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Quran to go direct to the Quran. Where's the proof? The verse. So you call the Quran to them. Surah 16 verse 44. What does this verse mean? So that you, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, should explain clearly to mankind what has been revealed to them. If the Quran was clear without the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, why is Allah Ta'ala telling the Prophet to explain it? This is how you, you know, reason with these fruitcakes. But notice misguidance. As Makhul Rahmatullah so rightly said, the Quran needs the Sunnah more than the Sunnah needs the Quran. This is recorded by Hafiz al-Khatib in his Al-Qifaya, page 14, with a Sahih chain of transmission. So look, look how interesting a statement. Makhul Rahmatullah was from the Salaf. He was a phenomenon. And what he said was, the Quran needs the Sunnah more than the Sunnah needs the Quran. It is true. If somebody says to you, what's, what's easier to live your life according to the Sunnah? Yeah. Isn't that true? Because it's more detailed. 
Is it easier to live your life according to the Quran? And the answer is, well, no. Why? Because there's not much detail. You're right. But the detail you're referring to is your lack of knowledge. The Quran therefore needs the Sunnah more than the Sunnah needs the Quran. Just consider Al-Mukhariq Ibn Sulaim's words when he said, Rahmatullah this is in Ibn Jarir and Ibn Kathir's Tafsir, volume 8, page 129 of the English translation. Once Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said to us, If we inform you of a hadith, we will bring you proof of it from the Quran. <laughs> so stop in the report. What did he say? <laughs> so the great Ibn Mas'ud, he was dealing with these people. <laughs> he goes, When we give you a hadith, We'll tell you where that's in the Quran. So what was he really saying there? What he was saying was, I've got that encyclopedic knowledge. But when I quote Hadith, I can actually go to the Quran. Then he said, for instance, he gave an example. When the Muslim servant says, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. Then an angel, alayhi salatu wasalam, takes these words and puts them under his wing. He ascends with them to the higher realms. He, alayhi salatu wasalam, does not take them past any group of angels, but they seek forgiveness for the one who sent them until he brings them before Allah. So now he's given an example. Stop in the quote. So he, did he relate this from the Prophet? No. And this was his habit. He's actually calling you a hadith. So what is one of the virtues of the third kalimah? Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wa allahu akbar, is an angel takes it, puts it under his wing, he, high, he goes, ascends into the heavens, and any group of angels who see that angel, they pray for the forgiveness of the one who says it, before he reaches Allah. He calls the hadith. Then Abdullah ibn Masood said, this is confirmed in the Quran, Surah Al-Fatir, Surah 35, verse 10. To him ascends the good words and the righteous deeds exalted. Surah 35 verse 10. So what did he beautifully do? He said, every hadith, I can give you the proof from the Quran. So he calls a very famous hadith and you just try this, you know, just not to belittle the brothers or sisters. Said, do you know this hadith about the third kalima? Most people have heard that hadith. Then he goes, right, where's that in Quran? So their response would be, don't you believe in the hadith? No, no, I didn't mean that. I just meant that every hadith is actually explaining Quran. But I'd like to know where it's in the Quran. So if I didn't go to the hadith, where is what you've said in the Quran? Which person on the surface of the earth would quote this verse? So the 35 verse 10, he knew to have encyclopedic knowledge. So what does the verse say? To him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, ascends the good words. That's the third kalima. To him ascends the good words. And the righteous deeds. What's the righteous deeds? The blessed angels and the obligatory duties exalted. So it's in the Quran. But this takes deep knowledge. And Ibn Masood was highlighting that the hadith is just an explanation of the Quran. Rasulullah is breaking it down graciously for us as instructed by Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is also related 
that our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam had similarly related that whoever uttered subhanallah walhamdulillah wa la ilaha illallah wallahu akbar then these words go around the glorious arsh buzzing like bees and mentioning those who had uttered them very famous hadith the strength tawaf the third kalima and is mentioning the one who's recited it the prophet there upon explains sallallahu alaihi wasallam would you not therefore love to have something with allah taala mentioning him This is in Ibn Majah, Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Ibn Kathir's Tafsir, volume 8, page 129 of the English translation. I think about that. If somebody says to you, I've got so-and-so's number, would you like to speak to him? And he goes, Who? whose number have you got? And imagine he's some very, very influential person. He's got a number. So let's say, I don't know. You know, think of somebody that everybody would love to talk to. A famous sportsman, you know, like people into their sports or actors, and he goes here. Is Robert De Niro? You want to talk to him? So, what do you think this person? Where do you get that know? How does he know you? Forget about Robert De Niro, but Allah Sab. Would you not love to have something with Allah mentioning him? So imagine this third kalimah is doing tawaf around the arsh. and the zikr that you've uttered is mentioning your name to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how easy is that he was also the virtue of third kalima you know people i don't know what dreamland they're in that's why they've given it the name the third kalima the scholars do it out of compassion because low people they the simple people you got to give them names first kalima second kalima third kalima one guy goes in bidat was in bidat but then you carry on with your bidat people are sleeping <laughs> Now the beautiful thing about this, these designating these names, everybody knows them. You know, if you go to a person, even a bachara, what's first kalima? La ilaha illa Muhammadur Rasulullah. If you didn't call it the first kalima, he wouldn't know what you're talking about. What zikr? Second kalima. Ishwala ilaha illa Shawna Muhammadur Rasulullah. Third kalima. Subhanallah walhamdulillah. There you go. The scholars are helping you. Not that the title is itself from the sunnah, but the third kalima is something beloved to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Think about that. You know, put it all together. First, it goes with an angel. Isn't that enough, Anna? Every angel that hears it makes du'a for your forgiveness. Then it starts doing du'a for on the arsh, and it starts mentioning you. How powerful is the third kalima? But there's another meaning of this verse. Another meaning of this sacred verse was highlighted by Abdullah ibn Abbas. There's no contradiction. What did he say? Radiyallahu anhu. Kalimu tayyib, the pure words, is the zikr of Allah. وَأَمَلُ الصَّالِحِ The righteous deeds is the performance of the fard obligatory duties. Thus, whoever remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whilst doing an obligatory duty, his deed carries his remembrance of Allah and takes it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, whoever remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but does not perform the obligatory duties, then his words will be rejected as will his deed. <laughs> This is in Ibn Jarir and Ibn Kathir's tafsir. So let's look at this. Go back to the verse. What does Allah Subhanahu wa Taala say? Surah 35, verse 10. To him ascend the good words. So both Ibn Masud and Ibn Abbas, in both their understanding, they said it means zikr. Third kalima zikr. But then he says, and the righteous deeds exalted. Wa amalu salih yarfa. The righteous deeds exalted. According to Ibn Masud, the righteous deeds are the angels. They've taken it. 
You understand? To the heavens. <laughs> and according to Ibn Abbas, the righteous deeds are what you do in the tense of your obligatory duties. <laughs> so the only way that dhikr will help you is if you're doing your farad. That's what Ibn Abbas is saying. <laughs> only if your farad is in place will these things benefit you. Thus, as with all things in our glorious deen, without the glorious pillars, the whole structure inevitably falls. Mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves us from all forms of misguidance. Why, why is that important to highlight? Some people, they strayed. They forgot everything except zikr. Because everything is leading to zikr. So we don't need to do that now because we're doing plenty of zikr. And this is misguidance. Mm. But you need to explain how is that misguidance. Surah 35 verse 10. Mm-hmm. Tell the guy goes, what? Right? There you go, brother. You should read Bible. Right? And he, surah, he starts getting the Quran. How is that? To him ascend the good words and the righteous deeds exalted. How is that? Condemning those who just do zikr. Because the righteous deeds is the fun of duties. The zikr is going nowhere. It's a condition and it has to be with the righteous deeds. And what are the righteous deeds according to Ibn Abbas? The fun of then that will have an impact. And of course, look at the hadith. Allah Ta'ala says in a very famous hadith in Bukhari, that my servant can get not get closer to me by anything other than what I made obligatory upon him. And after, what does Allah Ta'ala say? <coughs> and he becomes beloved to me through the optional. What does Allah Ta'ala mention first? <coughs> he mentions the farith. So can a person become beloved just by doing the optional? Even the hadith is telling you that. But where is the root of that? The Quran, like Ibn Masood says, every hadith is based in the Quran. But you need deep knowledge. Those Abdullah Ibn Masood would also constantly reiterate the importance of understanding the Quran through the blessed sunnah of our beloved Messenger. So the third kalima you should have mentioned. What affectionately does Allah Ta'ala himself call the third kalima in the Quran? The everlasting deeds is mentioned twice in Surah Maryam, uh, Surah Al-Qahf, Surah 18, and Surah 19, Surah Maryam. So why is Allah Ta'ala calling the third kalima the everlasting deeds? If you look at where the verse is mentioned in Surah Al-Qahf, Allah Ta'ala says, beautified of this world is, is women and children and wealth, but the everlasting deeds are better. So Allah Ta'ala is telling you something in that verse. He goes, women, children and wealth. And that's what it's all about, dunya. That is dunya. Yeah. Women, children and wealth. <laughs> but what's better? The everlasting deeds. Allah Ta'ala has called it that. And who, how do we know that it's the third kalima? Because Rasulullah said, Al-Baqiyatu Salihatu is Subhanallah. Walhamdulillah. Wa la ilaha illallah. Wallahu Akbar. Which atom bomb, that's in Imam Ahmad's Muslim, which atom bomb prayer takes out your past, present, future, minor, and major sins. Why does it take it out? Third Kalima. You're saying it 300 times. People question it. They go, where? Where is that in Quran, brother? Everything's in Quran. Calm down. Don't have blood pressure. I'll show you. And what's interesting, in which surah? Surah Al-Qaf. And what day do you decide Surah uh, Al-Qaf? Friday. And on which day with the Salaf offer Salat al Friday. Mm. What are you doing? We're going to march. Mm. So now, the Sunnah explains the Quran. There's a very famous report which we'll finish with. 
The hadith is in Sayyih Bukhari, Sayyih Muslim, Imam Ahmad Muslim ibn Katib Tafsir. Al-Qama, he relates, Rahmatullah. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu once said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curses those ladies who practice tattooing, and those who get themselves tattooed, those ladies who get their hair removed from their eyebrows and faces, except the beard and mustache, and those ladies who make artificial spaces between their teeth in order to look more beautiful, whereby they change the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just open the report. So he said, Bukhari and Muslim definitely happened. <laughs> Ibn Masood, he made a very interesting statement, Allah Ta'ala curses. Did he say Rasulullah? Mm-hmm. No. Because Allah Ta'ala curses. Who does he curse? Women who tattoo. Tattoo means permanent tattoo. <laughs> Not those stickers that children put on. Don't worry about that. Right? It's the one that you use like, you know, you, you're scarring the skin. Those women who get their hair removed from their eyebrows, the scholars explain, they are allowed to ch- uh, take that much off if they've got masculine eyebrows. Not more than that. The beard and moustache, uh, Ibn Masood said, that's fine because obviously that's masculine. They can take that off completely. No problem with that. And they make artificial spaces between their teeth. They file to change the creation. Allah Ta'ala curses them. His saying reached a lady from the tribe of Asad called Um Ya'aqub, who heard this and she came rushing to Ibn Mas'ud and she said, I have come to know that you have cursed such and such ladies. Is that true? He replied, Why should I not curse those whom Rasulullah has cursed and who Allah has cursed in his book? Um Ya'aqub replied, I've read the Quran. I don't find what you say. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so you got the one with the greatest knowledge of the Quran and you got a female. And what do people say to scholars now? Exactly that same statement. <laughs> I've read the Quran, Sheikh. It doesn't mention it anywhere. <laughs> so Ibn Masood, you can imagine what expression he's got on his blessed face. He says, Verily, if you had read it, with care and attention, you would have certainly found it. Meaning, you haven't read it. He goes, have you not read this verse? Surah Al-Hashr, Surah 59, verse 7. Whatever the Rasul gives you, take it. Whatever he forbids you, abandon it. Haven't you read that? She goes, yes. Ibn Masood said, Verily Rasulullah forbade such things. She responded, But I saw your wife doing it. He responded, Go and have a look and see what you have said is true. Look at my wife. When she went and realized it was not true, he responded to her, Had she done it, I would not have kept company with her. So now think about that. What did that woman actually think? You know, first of all, she thought she knew Quran better than Ibn Masood. First disaster. Secondly, she's thinking uh, what his wife's going against his own commands. In another report, Ibn Masood added, Radiyallah, in Fat al-Bari, volume 8, page 498. Have you not memorized the wise instructions of the righteous servant? And he recited. Surah Hud, alayhi salatu wasalam, Surah 11, verse 88. 
وما أريد أن أخالفكم إلى ما أنهاكم عن I alayhi salatu wasalam do not wish to be in opposition to you to do that which I forbid you to do subhanallah so let's look at this so in another report authentic in Fatt al-Bari Ibn Masood added something radiyallahu he goes have you not memorized the wise instructions of the righteous servant so let me ask you a question which white which righteous servant was he referring to There you go, sleeping over the Quran again, mashallah. Well done. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, quoting a righteous man, I wish not in opposition to you to do that which I forbid you to do. Who is he quoting? Which righteous servant? Shu'ib alayhi salatu wa salam. See, this is the thing. I'm quoting Quran. Maybe you're going to sleep. I don't know what. Imagine, Allah at the last talk. Imagine you're standing on day of judgment. And you're going to go to sleep when he talks to you. You know, wake up in it. Wake up, lads. You know, a shaykh talking, is it? It's a lot of lot talking. Astaghfirullah. So what did Ibn Masood say to the Allah? He said to that woman, he's rebuking her. Have you not memorized the wise instruction of the righteous? Why? Because she accused him, your wife. She's going against your commands. So he said, haven't you memorized the instructions of the righteous servant? What did... Shu'ib said to his people, I do not wish to oppose you to do that which I forbid you. In other words, I'm never going to tell you not to do something and I'm going to do it myself. So he goes, do you think I'm going to go against? I'm going to preach and I'm going to go against my preaching. Thus the above sacred verse in Surah uh, Hashr encompasses the whole of the authentic hadith spectrum. Why? Because our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Whatever I have commanded you, do it. And whatever I have forbidden you, refrain from it. <laughs> this is in Ibn Majah, number one. Ahmed in his Musnad 2-355 with a sahih chain of transmission. So what does Allah say in the Quran? Whatever Rasulullah gives you, take it. Whatever he forbids you, abandon it. Surah 59 verse 7. What did Rasulullah say? Whatever I command you, do it. Whatever I forbid you, refrain. So now... What lesson do we take from this report? The Quran by itself will guide you. But if you haven't got the encyclopedic knowledge, it'll misguide you. <laughs> so Ibn Masood was doing it deliberately. He wanted to weed these people out and they were coming to him. <laughs> so basically, there is no such thing as something in the uh, Hadith which is not from the Quran. Everything is from the Quran. But you need deep knowledge of that. And they both are needed to help explain each other. The Sunnah granted more than the Quran. So what I mentioned again today was Sayyidina Ibn Mas'ud and his deep connection to the glorious Quran and huge lessons i.e. from the various authentic reports I mentioned in this regard. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? سبحان ربي حمدي سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك واعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون سلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل الانسان لفي خسر الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات والله الحق والله الصبر صدق الله